Friends, let us listen together for the word of God from the prophet Isaiah in the 56th chapter. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Happy is the human one who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps my Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner joined to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and our understanding of this holy word. Friends, it will seem in just a moment as though I have gone off on a wild tangent in my reflecting on our scripture message for today. So before I do that, let's just reaffirm the central message of this passage. God's salvation is for everyone. Did you hear that? The theme that connects this scripture passage this morning and with the others in our lectionary for today, including in the 15th chapter of Matthew, when Jesus encounters a Canaanite woman who has a sick daughter, that is to say, a woman who was native to the region before the Israelite people had displaced them, and long before Rome had occupied the region, is that God's welcome is for all people. It is universal. My house, God says, shall be a prayer for all the nations or all the peoples. As some people are saying in these days, all means all. Or as people are saying in response to some country music, y'all means y'all. And in Jesus' encounter, it is fascinating to notice that he seems to be learning this himself in the conversation with a woman as she affirms that, yes, she too and her sick daughter are also included. We can hear this message again and again. Yes, me too. All means all. All means me too. No person or group can limit God's all not even Jesus himself. In this passage specifically, eunuchs are named. 
people who in our own modern language, we might say, live outside the gender binary. People who were often judged in that time for, mar for not marrying someone of the opposite gender and for producing children. People also are included in this passage, specifically people who are from foreign lands and who had been judged for not being like the people considered to be the dominant group. God is explicit in these two passages. Yes, eunuchs too. Yes, foreigners too. Yes, all really does mean all. And at my temple, it should say, this is a house of prayer for all people. This is the central, the dominant, the most important message. If anyone ever challenges you or leads you to believe that here at First Church, we must place scripture below other traditions who take the Bible more seriously, point them straight to this passage. It also explains why we are open and affirming. God loves all people, and if there is to be a list made up down the line, our God is a God who is also continually growing in who will make the list. God will change to include that person. The biblical narrative can be read this way as a long process of God also wrestling with who is in, and it is everybody. So that is the most important interpretation of this passage. And now are we ready for a wild tangent? Bear with me. I want to talk to you about your to-do lists. I know we are in every stage of life in this room. So our to-do lists will all look very, very different, but we all have them. Does your list sometimes feel like a carnival game of whack-a-mole, nothing will ever be done, and nothing will ever be done all at once. And as you try to complete your list, does it often just beget more lists? I think being a human being means having areas of life, like your home, your body, your relationships, always being in constant need of care and attention and upkeep. And everything, if neglected, always threatens to fall into disarray and disrepair. Let's just imagine a common morning routine, for example. Perhaps it involves brushing and flossing before you pray and read scripture and prepare a breakfast for yourself that might need to be low in sodium and cholesterol. You might have on your list physical therapy or exercise for a recent injury. You might have at the top of your list calling a family member or a close friend you have been worrying about in the night. You might have to remember to pay a bill, empty a dehumidifier, but water your plants, check on the batteries in your smoke detector, take a medication or a few, which is not even to mention those who need to begin their day before any of those things by caring for small children or pets. If you are somebody who cares about how things look, some things are visible and tangible signs of whether you have made it through your list to the outside world. Your window box, for example, and some are hidden, known only to you, like your junk drawer. And all of this before the official work of the day begins. 
that is just a regular average morning, no big ticket items, and you haven't even made it to the business of the day. So friends, I don't know how it feels to you, but this is how it feels to me in these days as the to-do list has so many things on it that are, in fact, special one-time things as we shift from summer to fall. This is the back-to-school week in my household of to-do lists, the mother of all to-do lists, you might say, except for December and April and May and June. This is a big one. If I begin to sound stressed or bitter or resentful when I talk about my list, this is not my intention, friends. I'm going for funny and relatable here. Can we have a chuckle? You're in this with me, right? Everything on my to-do list, and I hope yours, represents a choice or represents a responsibility, which in fact signals a blessing, which you are probably, if you were to scratch beneath the surface, deeply, deeply grateful to have. Hopefully we would choose all of the things and ones entrusted into our care and we would choose it all again even with the hard things, they all represent blessings. So this week I will be, for many different children in many different schools, logging into different online platforms. Of course, now everything's in Google Classroom since the pandemic, and we also, I kid you not, have this thing called Infinite Campus. And when I log into Infinite Campus for all the different children, I will find within a different list of supplies needed for each person. Each list begets a new list. Everyone will need to go to the dentist before we go back to school. Everyone's already been for a checkup. And sometimes one doctor's appointment, nod friends if you're with me, means you end up with more and more doctor's appointments on your list for follow-ups. And although I usually don't like shopping, the back-to-school trip, this is a big one. Everyone has printed out their list with everything they need. I'm also serious when I tell you each child needs 50 sharpened pencils. In one classroom, there could easily be 1,000 pencils on that first day of school. How could we need so many pencils when they do all their work on computers? And yet, off we will go, checking off the list of all of the supplies that we need. And I am someone who is an eternal optimist, and I am very, very future-oriented. I never like to look back, I'm always looking forward, and it's always through rose-colored lenses. So as we're going about collecting these supplies, I am going to be imagining the weeks ahead, and they will look like this. Everything on everyone's to-do list is complete. All the homework by the end of the day has been done. It has been filed neatly in the folders, in the backpacks. I can imagine as we set off for the day to work and school, the crock pot is starting to bubble away happily on the counter and we've meal planned for the rest of the week. I imagine a future self, a future family in which everything is set, everything is taken care of, everything is done. In this next season of life, I tell myself four times a year as the calendar turns to a new season, this is the season that we will all have it all together. It lasts about a week. 
I imagine those clothes getting folded straight out of the dryer, the thank you notes addressed and in the mail the same week. This will even be the season that I start to exercise regularly. The kids will have been signed up for just the right number of activities, and each time that day rolls around, we will know where their equipment is. We will have made time to practice in between. Can't you see it, friends? The perfect, well-ordered life with everything done and everything under control. Despite the fact that ha this has never been true for me, has it ever been true for you? I dream of everything being set right. In reality, if I were to spend my afternoon cleaning out my car, I would go back inside and unattended children will have unpacked the art cupboard and there will be supplies all over the house in addition to Monopoly and checkers all going on at once. Again, this is all imaginary. This is the human condition. We always have lists and we will always be striving after trying to complete them, trying to restore something, trying to repair something, trying to maintain something, the check engine light, if it doesn't light up in your car, it will metaphorically speaking light up in a relationship in your body, someplace in your household. Many places, many things need our time and attention. Everything requires work. And also part of being a human means that at all times, all things feel as though they can threaten to slip right out of our grasp. These things entrusted to us, our loved ones, time itself always feels as though it is slipping away. And yet, we return to the good news in our scripture. The thing that stands out to me in our scripture after this explicit welcome for the one who holds an identity that is considered to be other, that is explicitly welcomed in, is that God has a different list for us. And in fact, it's not really a list. It can really be summed up by just two things. And this is first, keep the Sabbath. The only thing that qualifies you to be included is to be a person who is willing to be in this ongoing pattern with God, someone who seeks after this relationship, who strives to keep the Sabbath, to rest, to renew your soul, and not because you have put rest at the bottom of your to-do list. You will never get to it but because this is a way of being. Despite all the things that will never be done, that will never be accomplished, that will never be perfect or set to right, because we are human beings who must rest. And this is the second one, that from a place of rest, you must be kind to yourself. Did you hear what God says to the foreigner and to the eunuch? Don't speak in these ways to yourself. Don't say to yourself, I'm cut off. Don't say to yourself, I'm just a dry tree. Don't say to yourself, I'm, I am excluded. No, love yourself and accept yourself. Do not echo the voices outside of you that limit your sacred worth. 
Do not say I don't matter. Do not say I am not good enough. Do not say I do not belong. God loves you just as you are and just as you are created to be. Not when your list is done, not when you have satisfied everyone in your life, but before you have even begun. On the seventh day, God rested and you created in God's own divine image, are also told that you must rest. Resting and speaking kindly to yourself are the two most faithful things that you can do, and they are the only things that get you in to this relationship with God, being willing to rest and go easy on yourself, to speak kindly to yourself and about yourself. Rest and self-compassion are actually really hard. And if it feels to you as though I just gave you something really challenging that now you need to put at the top of your to-do list, I have a few resources that will help you. One is a podcast called 10% Happier. And the latest episode that just came out is on self-compassion. And it's not pride or hubris. It's not walking around saying, I'm so great. It's speaking to yourself as you would to a friend. When something is hard for a friend, when a friend is exhausted, you would say, there, there, sit down, have a cup of tea. Just be for a little bit. And you'd keep a friend company and let them relax. You wouldn't say, Fix that problem in these five ways and you better hustle and get to it. No, you would just let your friend be. The first rule of self-compassion is to treat yourself as you would treat your dearest friend. This 10% Happier is a podcast by Dan Harris and the person he just interviewed was Kristen Neff who has just written a book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. And the other resource that I have for you is this beautiful, powerful new book, Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto by Tricia Hershey, who is also known as the Bishop of the Knapp Ministry. And she has come up with this model, which amazingly is perfectly in parallel with this much older book, The Sabbath, by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And they reintroduce us to God as God wants to be known. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery into freedom. That's the first thing you need to know about God. And that God tells you the first thing you need to do, besides knowing who God is, is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And not because the rest of the world would tell you, productivity culture, you need to get up and work harder the next day. Rest so you can get up and do it all again. Rest so you can produce more, so you can earn more, so you can be more. Rest so you'll be more effective at getting your to-do list done later. No, rest because you are divine, because God created you in God's own divine image and because you deserve it and that you are good and worthy and loved no matter how much you ever have or ever will get done. So I will close with how she closes.
She says, as we collectively rest and unravel from our alignment with grind culture, layers are peeled back to show the truth of ourselves. We are more than what we have ever been told, and we must continue seeing each other and ourselves, no matter how distorted and exhausted we show up. Take to your beds. Accept all you have ignored. Yes, that undone to-do list is fine. And then rest more. What does your body want? What does your soul need? What are the whispers that have been silenced by the cranking gears of grind culture? She says, this is a manifesto for the rest pilgrimage. Our battle cry and mantra, we will rest. Say it in your hearts, whisper it aloud, repeat it as you fall asleep, tell your neighbor, we will rest, we will rest, we will rest. Friends, may you find that rest. May you speak kindly to yourself. May you know just how much God loves you. Amen.